Good morning, it's Monday the 12th of February and this is Govind Rajathi Raj broadcasting from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes of the day. For foreign investors, India is a debt story right now. Personal income taxes continue to power growth in tax collections. Weight loss drug sales are running away in India, like elsewhere. How photovoltaics and automotive industries are driving silver demand. And Michael Jackson's music catalog is valued at $1.2 billion even today. This is a core report with Govindraj Athiraj. India is a death story. Before I come to the dead, a quick roundup of what's been happening and will happen this week. Lots of inflation data is coming from world over actually this week, including from India, which is expected to be a little lower. The last week saw equities drift down as neither the US Federal Reserve or the Reserve Bank of India, though the latter less so, did anything to cut or indicate that they were cutting interest rates right now. This week, we'll also see most of the remaining major Q3 earnings or third quarter earnings, which is the October to December 2023 period, being released. Looking back again in the last week, the Nifty fell about 71 points during the week to close at 21,782, while the BSE Sensex fell 490 points to close at 71,595. Broadly, mid caps and small caps are doing a little better. The interesting trend, of course, is the foreign institutional investor love for Indian debt. In the last 10 days, they've already invested about 15,000 crore rupees and close to 20,000 crore rupees in January. So that makes it about 35,000 crore rupees of investments in debt, according to a report in PTI quoted by NDTV Profit. January was the highest inflow since June 2017. On the other hand, foreign institutional investors continue to sell equities net selling about 3,000 crore rupees this month, that's February, a top 25,000 crore rupees last month in January. So the broader economic indicators are obviously looking better for foreign portfolio investors right now. It also helps that JP Morgan Chase in September last year said it will add Indian government bonds to its benchmark emerging market index from June 2024. That's a few months away. A move, however, that's expected to attract about 20 to $40 billion in the coming 18 to 24 months. The inflows were strong, but not strong enough to keep the rupee up even within the trading band. It usually stays. On Friday, the rupee weakened about 7 paise to close at just around 83 rupees against the US dollar. It closed at 82 rupees and 96 paise on Thursday. Meanwhile, on oil prices, Brent crude is quoting a shade above $82. That's $82.19 and W2I crude oil, that's Timex, is quoting at $76.84. Direct tax collections continue to stay strong. Net direct tax collection in the current year has now grown 20% year on year to 15.6 trillion rupees or 15.6 lakh crores, meeting about 80% of the revised budget estimates for the full fiscal year. That's 23-24. Personal income tax collections are powering the growth at about 26%, while corporate income tax is about 9.16%. The Central Board of Direct Taxes said in a statement reported in Business Standard that the provisional figures of direct tax collections continue to register steady growth. Direct tax collections up to 10th of February 2024 show that gross collections are at about 18.38 trillion rupees. That's almost 17% higher than the gross collections of the corresponding period last year. 
Now, direct tax collections net of refunds, because there's refunds happening all the time till February 10th, stands at about 15.6 lakh crore rupees or 15.6 trillion rupees. That's 20% higher, as we said. Weight loss drugs are running away. One in four adults in India is overweight today. Breaking it down further, some 22% of all males in India, 23% of females and 11% of children in India are overweight. A wonder drug that addresses and brings down weight is now flying off the shelves in the country. That's India. So much so that the market share of semaglutide or ribosless, as it's called here, launched in Jan 22, exactly two years ago, is now 66% of the value of all anti-obesity drugs. It's not that there were no anti-obesity drugs earlier, but the scale and impact is dramatic with this new set of drugs and is at levels the world actually has not seen. In the United States, celebrities from Elon Musk to Oprah Winfrey have credited drugs like Vigovi and Ozempic, the American versions of Ribelsis, that's the one that's available in India, for their contribution to weight loss. Ribelsis costs, for example, about 3,000 rupees for a strip of 10 3MG tablets and is actually used for treating type 2 diabetes. Also, in India, you can only get tablets, while in the United States, it's in the form of an injectable. The manufacturer is the same Novo Nordisk, a 100-year-old Denmark-headquartered company. The way semaglutide works is that it targets the brain centers that regulate appetite, especially after eating, which could slow down your eating. It also slows down how quickly the stomach empties, which makes you feel fuller for longer. I reached out to Sheetal Sapale, Vice President at Pharmaceutical Industry Tracking Body PharmaTrack, and I began by asking her how she was viewing the rise of weight loss medicines. In the weight loss, the drugs were launched for quite some years back. It's not just two years ago, but it is the one product, semaglutide molecule from No Nordisk, which was last launched in Jan 22. And mm-hmm. this phenomenal growth in the market we are seeing in the last two years. So the weight loss or, you know, overweight problem has been there in the country for quite some time. However, the type of results that the product has seen, the marketing activities that the company has done has definitely pushed the growth of this market. Post-COVID, probably there is a lot of health consciousness also that has come in the market because of which we are seeing this growth in the market. So when we say weight loss, obviously someone like a layperson like me would use it very generically, but I'm sure it's not all weight loss drugs are not the same. There are different types of drugs which are addressing the problem from different ends. Could you take us through that? Yeah, so there are different molecules which act in different ways. For example, this semaglutide molecule, it would actually suppress the brain function for, you know, that feeling of hunger. So you don't feel hungry very often. Or there may be a molecule like Orlistat, which actually reduces the dietary absorption of fats. So the fat absorption comes down. Then there are some molecules like dulaglutide, which actually say that they actually reduce the hunger pangs. So all these products which are available today, they suppress some natural activity of the brain or some natural activity of the body. So it is not a long-term solution, but typically in India or typically human beings, they want a short-term solution for something. Weight loss is something which should be controlled through, you know, dietary intake or exercises. But uh, if the weight problem is very high, then at least for the initial few kilos, 10 to 12 kilos, these type of medications help. And then once the weight comes into control, then probably you move to your dietary or the exercise part. But then the medicines that are available today are not a long-term solution. They are a quick solution, but it has to be followed by 
some other lifestyle modification. Which also brings me to the question. So are all these drugs, I mean, at least the numbers that you're seeing here, a reflection of prescriptions being given or being medicines being bought on prescriptions? Yes, all of these drugs have to be prescribed. Because as I said earlier, that these drugs, they suppress some natural activity of the body and it may impact your intestine function. It may impact some of your brain function. So nobody usually takes these drugs as OTC products. And even the dose has to be titrated based on the body weight, age of the patient or whatever is the physiological condition of the patient. That's the reason why they are taken under a doctor's supervision only. You've said that this has obviously grown very fast in the last two years, particularly semaglutide. So what is this in relation to the overall drugs market? I mean, for all categories or the specific category under which this comes? So basically, 66% of the obesity market today, the 66% of the market share is by semaglutide. Balance other drugs may be 10 to 15% or so. But then within two years, semaglutide has first of all tripled the market overall. And in that big market, it is almost 66% market share holder. Would you have a value number for this? What it was, let's say, in 2022 and what it is today? The overall market and then today? So the market in Jan 2020 was close to 155 crores. And today it's almost 475 crores. Right. So of 475 crores, about 66% is semaglutide, which is ribelius. Yeah, around 314 crores is semaglutide. And that's one drug from Novo Nordisk. Yes, one brand from no notice, Ribelsis. Do you see this growing in 2024 as well? And will it be mostly again dominated by the same drug? Do you see other drugs coming in, going by current trends? It depends upon what are the approvals that are available in the country for different molecules and different brands. Right now, there are no new entrants as such. But yes, many more brands will enter the market because semaglutide is one molecule. There are other molecules like dulaglutide, Liraglutide, Olistat. Now, Olistat is not under patent protections and there are already 23 brands and today Olistat has close to 13% of the market share. But then Dulaglutide, the innovator is LIE. They have their brand Tulicity and they have partnered with Lupin. So both of these companies today dominate this Dulaglutide market because it is under patent protection. But then Dulaglutide is losing its patent or it's going off patent in Feb 24 this month. So we may expect a lot of entrants or branded generics entering this market from this month. So probably when we release Feb 24 data next month, we might see a lot of branded generics players entering this market. In terms of acceptance and growth, even in the Western markets, it's really semaglutide, which is, you know, focuses on the brain and regulates appetite. I mean, that's the category that's really grown as opposed to these other categories. Am I right? Still, it is under patent protection. The cost of the drug also matters. And today, it is not just a class of patients which is having obesity problems. Obesity problem is seen in higher category or, you know, the rich people as well as the poor people. Because our dietary habits are not correct. Our lifestyle is not correct. Semaglutide, since it is ribosis, since it is still under patent protection, the product is expensive. You know, one time consumption, it's around rupees 14,000 or so. I'm not aware of the exact price. but It's a very expensive product. Once uh, dulaglutide goes off patent, probably the branded generics will come at a much affordable price. So the mode of action may not be the same as semaglutide, but the results are seen in this product as well. How are you seeing other categories change or not change in the last um, couple of months? That's one. And secondly, uh, obviously, now anti-obesity has grown and therefore is a larger part of the overall drugs market. So what is that number like? 
anti obesity products is a 500 crore market today whereas our vegan pharma market is 9193000 crore it's just a small portion of the market but then this market is definitely bound to grow it's like the weight gain problem it is not just connected with your anti obesity products because higher weight or overweight people are prone to many other conditions which may be in the cardiac segment in the anti diabetes segment heavier people they usually give a lot of pressure on their joints so arthritis problems crop up similarly these patients also have lot of sleep disorders asthma problems the higher blood pressure also leads to pressure on your kidneys kidney problems also come up so everything is associated so i couldn't say that higher weight leads to one or two specific problems obesity is one of the outcome of weight not being in control so we have just discussed about the obesity part but then overweight person is prone to take medications from all other therapy areas because each and every part of the body gets affected in some way or the other in fact for obesity patients or overweight people they also become eligible candidates for some of the neuro cns products they are prone to sleep disorders because if you see overweight people usually have sleep problems they don't get sleep that easily and there is also some sort of you know social impact where mixing with having social contacts or being a part of that social group uh, there are a lot of inhibitions in their mind and they go undergo a lot of uh, anxiety problems shital thank you so much for joining me yeah thank you so much the impact of semaglutide is at a level i have not seen and perhaps no one has including in the western world all i can add or say is knowing that there are people who are taking some version of semaglutide in india do it under a physician's guidance and not self administer it the silver lining in commodities Global silver demand is expected to rise further in 2024 thanks to a continued strength in industrial end uses and a recovery in jewelry and silverware demand. The interesting part here which is why we are talking about it in the core report, photovoltaics and automotive industries will remain and perhaps be the bigger key drivers of growth this year. Global photovoltaic installation significantly exceeded initial market expectations in 2023. with new capacity additions forecast to reach another record high this year says the silver institute adding that silver offtake could also benefit from the technological breakthrough that's brought new higher efficiency n type solar cells which have higher silver loadings into mass production and meanwhile in the automotive industry greater use of electronic components and investment in battery charging infrastructure will continue to support silver offtake said the silver institute Prices of gold and silver are of course linked to interest rate environments and the more interest rates stay high the less likely people will invest in these metals since they don't offer any direct returns a precious metals analyst with UBS Securities told CNBC that in a scenario where the federal reserve is easing we think that silver can do really well it tends to outperform a move in gold silver has been underperforming gold quite a lot and there's a lot of catching up to do and i think the move could be quite dramatic said that analyst Back here I reached out to Ajay Kadia of Kadia Advisory a leading commodities brokerage based near Mumbai to get a India and global perspective on where silver was going and I began by asking him how he was viewing the latest silver trends If we talk about the silver definitely silver is a base metal and no doubt after a post covid we have seen all base metal prices or industrial demand has been dropped significantly that is why there was an underperformance but slowly as the things have been improving we can see 
as per the latest report for silver issued, expect there could be a shortage of almost 176 million ounce from 194 million ounce in 2023. So that clearly shows one side supply side is short. On the contrary, demand if we talk about, because 10 years back there was a limited side where the silver is being used. But now as we know, EV, solar panel and many other industries are being used silver as a metal. So I think the demand is, as per report, it is around 1.2 billion ounce this year, which is the second highest. So slowly and steadily, things would be improving for silver. But important would be China, because last year, PFC China came out from the COVID and still all are expecting China should perform, China should perform, but both numbers like manufacturing, retail, nothing has been going very well up till now. All are hoping with the rate cut or stimulus going to the economy, post-lunar new year, which is going to be there in China. I think industrial demand should improve, which will support silver for 20. What's the normal interplay, uh, Ajay? For example, the demand from, let's say, jewelry and physical demand, which is people buying bars, I would imagine. Physical demand seems to be low, at least projections. Jewelry is high and industrial is also high. But my question is, between these three, what is likely to really, you know, go away or grow fast in 2024? If we talk about the difference between the uh, demand, the physical demand, which is projected to be fall by 6%, because now we know in last couple of years, or let's say uh, post-COVID, people are investing in real estate, doing very well, or we can say gold or equities. So I think CVR is not getting any chance. It is why physical demand is not so much active, particularly mostly from US side. But if you go with the jewelry, as gold is getting costlier and costlier. In India or US, we have seen a new trend where silver jewelry are in demand. So as per silver Institute, there is a nice of 3%. So I think investment demand as of now is not picking up, but looking to the ETFs, we have seen in last couple of years, many Indian mutual funds are come out with the ETFs, which suggests slowly and steadily as gold-silver ratio, which is trending nearly 90, which shows Silver is quite cheaper than gold. So I think that could be a greater value that to be discovered in silver. So I think from 24 onwards, investment demand should improve. Our general demand will keep on going because of costlier price of gold. But overall, I think initially, investment demand should slowly as generally pick up, but general demand will continue to be there. Right, and that's interesting, Ajay, because you're saying that in contrast to gold, because silver prices are lower, which they've always been, but at this point of time, because gold prices are higher, you're seeing silver pick up, particularly in the context of jewelry. So how is the gold-silver ratio looking to you in India right now? And how are you projecting it in coming months? See, if we talk about last, let's say, 20 to 15 years, ratio ups and downs. So we have seen in 2011, this ratio was around 31.2. Wherever this ratio, how this ratio comes, gold price divided by silver price. So wherever this ratio comes near to, let's say, 30-40 zone, we say silver, gold is underperforming as compared to silver. And whenever this ratio comes near to 80-85, ratio of 80-81 level was with past. But due to COVID, we have seen this ratio made a high of 128 in the year of 2020. So right now, this ratio is at the level of 90. If we take a mean of this ratio, we should come around 61, 62. So I think there is a huge scope that this ratio should drop from 90 to 60, which allows me to invest in silver and silver might double from here also. That is, we are expecting this could not be a 
surprise if we see a doubling price from here also. One more thing is gold silver ratio is a good barometer to understand economy versus geopolitical tensions. Because whenever this gold silver ratio rise, that means the demand for gold is rising. And as we know, whenever there is a geopolitical tension, recession, fear, or any kind of fear, then people will tend to buy gold. And generally, this will help this ratio to go upward. Like we have seen in 2020 when COVID concern was that industrial activity totally stopped. And this ratio kept a high of 125, 126 level. Since then, we have seen all economy are on the track to recover. That is why in last uh, one year, we have seen this ratio made a low of almost 78 level last year. And currently, it is 90. So I think this ratio looking at silver is going to be more positive as compared to gold. Right. And last question, Ajay. So currently we are at about 70,000 or so, 70,400. So what are you specifically seeing? When you say double, do you mean double of this price? Yeah, definitely. Because if you remember in 2011, we have seen silver prices as international comics has tested $50 mark. And currently it's not at all about 25 also. Right now it's around 22 bt. That makes silver more attractive. But on domestic side, definitely in last 15 years, we have seen many changes. Like Rupee depreciation, we have seen rupee from 53 to 83. We have seen import duty that was around 2 to 3% and now it's around 15%. So in India, definitely prices are slightly overvalued as of now. But I think if you talk about Indian market from 70,000, I am that sure if you have a overview or patient for holding two years time from here, I think prices can easily can touch to a one and a half lakh rupees in next couple of years. Many factors have been that, like we have seen it is undervalued. ETFs are being now there, which are being good early as of now. Silver essence jewelry, we have seen now people as gold are very costly. People are moving for silver jewelry or silver as a corporate gifting. Even the EV, solar panel, consumptions have been improved in last 10 years. Things have been. I am that journey in the next couple of years. We can easily see silver around, let's say, 130,000, 150,000 all the wishes. Right, Ajay, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. UPI spreads wings. Elsewhere, India's Unified Payments Interface, or UPI, is set to be launched in Sri Lanka and Mauritius on February 12th, adding to a growing list of countries where the payment system is either acceptable or linked to their own fast payments network. In addition to the UPI, Rupay card services will also be launched in Mauritius. The government said, that's the Indian government said, that given India's robust cultural and people-to-people linkages with Sri Lanka and Mauritius, The launch will benefit a wide cross-section of people through faster and seamless digital transaction experiences. Michael Jackson's music catalogue is valued at $1.2 billion. Michael Jackson may have died about 15 years ago, that's in 2009 at the age of 50, but his music catalogue and music still commands a strong valuation and interest. Sony Group is acquiring half interest in pop star Michael Jackson's music catalog from the late singer's estate for about $600 million. Bloomberg has quoted Billboard as reporting, saying it's the largest such deal ever. The assets include ownership of master recordings and publishing for Jackson's share of his songs as well as the MyJack catalog. Jackson's estate had earlier sold its half interest in Sony ATV Music Publishing, a joint venture that included the Beatles songs. Jackson had left an estate worth hundreds of millions of dollars, but large debts to also work out. According to Billboard, a new biographical movie on the singer titled Michael is scheduled for release next year. 
That's it from me for today. Have a great Monday and week ahead and see you tomorrow. That was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter for our exclusive stories, one in-depth feature a day on www.thecore.in. Do also track us on LinkedIn, where we usually post synopses or extracts of our top stories and interviews. We would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant, including, of course, India's vibrant manufacturing sector. So write to us at feedback at the core.in. And thank you once again for listening. <laughs>